um, just for your goodness and your faithfulness. I think of that song that we were just talking about, singing about, God, how just if, if all this is going to happen, if all of creation is going to be worshiping you and praising you and acknowledging you, we are too. We can't help but do that. And Father God, as we jump into your word today, may your Holy Spirit just open our eyes and our hearts to what you have for us. Put all our preconceived ideas about your word and faith in you and all that to the side as we allow your spirit to move and to change and to do a work in us, God, that we could never do on our, on our own in order that we can know you more. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're starting a new series, a 10-week series on the Ten Commandments. Ten weeks, Ten Commandments, makes sense. Um, and we're going to look, really what we're going to be doing is look at, looking at the purpose and the importance of the Ten Commandments for us and uh, through all history, but for us for today. But I want to start by asking a deeply theological question. Okay, you ready? I know you guys are. Okay, who here can recite or maybe even sing, because you know the tune to it, the seventh ingredients in a McDonald's Big Mac. Ready? Here we go. To be patty Okay. Excellent. Okay. Exactly. Easy. Yeah, we, we, all, we all know that. No problem. Okay. Here's another one. Here we go. How many of you now can recite all Ten Commandments? Go. No, don't go. <laughs> Don't hurt yourself. Um, no, a little bit is not as easy, is it? Not so easy. But don't worry. Let me look at this. A recent survey found that only 14% of Americans could name the Ten Commandments. But by comparison, a quarter of all Americans can name the seven ingredients in a Big Mac. Nearly three out of four can name all three stooges. And one in three know all six kids from the Brady Bunch. Okay, a show, by the way, that went off the air when I was 12. Okay, that's how many people we can know this. Now, some people would say, well, of course, that makes sense because these Ten Commandments were these things that were, they were given thousands of years ago, and they really applied mainly to the people in Old Testament times. And some people would even say, after all, didn't Jesus come to change the way that we related to God compared to how the Ten Commandments say? Well, if you have your little notes, if you want to follow along in the little notes uh, on the sheet there, the first one I want to tell you is the reality is that the Ten, ten Commandments are actually central to the New Testament ethics. They are central to all that we are taught, all that we learn, all that Jesus taught, all that Apostle Paul taught in the New Testament. The Ten Commandments are central. For example, when the Apostle Paul gave us, when he was giving a summary of what it means to be a Christian, someone who truly lives in obedience to God, what did he do? He looked to the Ten Commandments. Look at Romans. In Romans chapter 13, he says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, <laughs> given you four. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And even Jesus did this. Even Jesus himself summarized really all like 613 laws that are found in the Old Testament, which really can be summarized in the Ten Commandments. He summarized them into two. 
Anybody tell me what those two, they summarized all the law that God gave in the Old Testament. Jesus went back and, and, and summarized them into two. What were they? Love God with everything you got, exactly, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what Jesus is, he, so he's not denying, or remember he came and said, he didn't, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. So I'm doing something different with, with it. You see, with the coming of Jesus comes not this doing away with the importance of the Ten Commandments, but really what it comes is this transformation of the Ten Commandments. We don't have to look at him as this little thing that was left behind. And now Jesus adds to him. No, he transformed the Ten Commandments. They're really a reminder to us, really, of of where we fall short. Okay, they're a reminder to us of of where we stumble. Yet, Yet not for the purpose of making us feel guilty or having us feel like we need to wallow in our, in our guilt and our shame because we aren't able to keep uh, or live up to these set of rules. That's not why. But number two, on your notes there, but as we will see, the Ten Commandments are meant to show us the way to live in freedom. Freedom from our reliance on anything other than a perfect and loving God for our security, for our significance, and purpose. That's what they're for. These, these, these things that we, we won't rely on things that will ultimately fail us while continually pointing us back to our desperate need for Jesus, the only one that can truly free us. So that's what the Ten Commandments are for. Not like, oh, I didn't keep that one, darn it. No, it's saying, oh, see how I didn't keep that? I need Jesus. My wife and I I were on a walk yesterday, and we were talking about this very thing. We were talking about how we're talking about our stuff, okay? We're talking about where we struggle. And right away, what came up for us, and this is what the Spirit of God does and revealed to us, and we both looked at each other and went, man, we need Jesus. (laughs) Man, we need Jesus bad. So that's what these Ten Commandments do. They thrust us back into helping us understand, I need Jesus. I can't rely on so many other things that I rely on for my, to feel good about who I am. Now, these Ten Commandments, interesting enough, I don't know if you know this, that the Ten Commandments are actually found in two different places in the Old Testament, okay? The first one is in Exodus 20, where we're going to actually be looking at these, where God initially gives uh, Moses the Ten Commandments at the Mount Sinai, really like three months after, probably after they had been freed from um, slavery in Egypt. The second time that Moses get, that they that they, we see these Ten Commandments listed in the Bible are in Deuteronomy, where Moses again recites the Ten Commandments to the Israelites just before they enter into the Promised Land. That's how important these are to have to know what they're all about. Now, in order for his people to truly understand the magnitude of these commandments. What God does is he's, he's going to give them these commandments, and just before he does it, he wants to make sure that they completely understand the, these two very vital, important things. Basically, it's like he's saying, I got something of such incredible importance to tell you, but first I want you to understand this. I want you to understand who I am, who I truly am, and what I've done for you. Sounds like something that we all need to be reminded of, Right? Who is, G- who is God 
And what has he done? Look what, look what Moses says as we dive into this in Exodus chapter 20. Look what he says kind of as a preface to the Ten Commandments. He says this in verses 1 and 2. He says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So the first thing we see here is God wants his people to understand about the extent of his authority, how amazing his authority is. Remember when uh, God first appeared to Moses? Remember when that was? The burning bush? And he asked, he asked uh, Moses, he said, I want you to go to the Israelites. I want to go to your fellow Israelites, and I've got a message that I want you to give them, okay? And remember Moses asked, okay, but what should I tell them if they ask me, who sent me? Like, what am I supposed to say? Does God, God sent me? Remember what God told him? Tell him, I am has sent me to you. I am. Number three on your notes there. In other words, in saying he is I am, God wants his people to understand that he is the eternal, sovereign ruler and sustainer of all. That's what I am means. He's over it all. Okay? He has always existed and he always will exist. From the beginning of time, God already existed. He wants them to put that in their head. That's how amazing God is. Okay? And that there's no limits to his rule. There's nothing that happens. There's nothing ever that has happened and ever will happen in the universe that is outside of his influence and authority. You see what God's trying to do for them? He's trying to show them how amazing he is and in control he is. He is the ultimate source of all power, authority, and everything that exists. That's what he's trying to get across to them. And number four on your notes, though, yet as we're going to see that God wants them, he wants them to understand that he is also a personal God. Notice that he says, I am the Lord who? Your God. I'm not, he's not just saying, I'm God. So respect me, doggone it. I'm powerful. Yeah. No, I am that person, but I am your God. God. I am the Lord, your God. In the previous chapter, he tells his people that they are meant to be this treasured possession. He says, if you follow this, you'll be my, you're my treasured possession. As part of your notes there, he says, he's saying that he's a God who knows his people and desires to be known by them. So you see the two, what he's showing here? I am the ultimate power. I am all authority. But you know what? I want you to know me. And I, and I, and I know you. I, I want intimacy with you. That's what he's trying to get across. Before he even gives one commandment, he sets this out for them. He wants them to understand also, number five on your notes, what he has done for them. He has given them freedom from the bondage of slavery. Freedom. The, see, the Ten Commandments are going to be given actually in a response to the freedom and salvation that he has already given them. He doesn't say, here's these things I want you to do. Okay, now I'm going to let... No, 
I've already made you free. I have set you free from bondage. No longer are you being slaves, being whipped. You are free. But here's what I want you to know. Here's what is so important for you to know. There are these, what, what happens here is these Ten Commandments are to show them that he is a God who loves his people and he loves to set people free. And he deeply desires then to be at the center of their lives. So often people come to God and come to Christ and they go, yes, there's freedom I found in him. I love it. I love being a follower of Jesus. He has set me free from my sins. But then we don't allow him to, to fully take control. Like we're going to see how important that is through the Ten Commandments. So we're free, but we actually still live as slaves. Very, very common thing. And you guys, this is the exact same message that God has for us today that he was giving to the Israelites then. He is this powerful ruler of the universe who loves us and has freed us from the slavery of our sin so that we can have a relationship, so that we can turn, have an intimate relationship and allow him to be the very center of our lives. And we're going to look at that as we move along here. That's what he's saying. So for us today, number six, the Ten Commandments are to be seen as a response to the salvation God has provided through Jesus Christ. They're actually a picture of what, what it looks like to live in freedom under the protection, wisdom, and goodness of a heavenly Father who loves us. That's the basis of the Ten Commandments. Something quite different than we hear from a lot of people in the world would say the Ten Commandments are about, right? A bunch of rules. No, this, the Ten Commandments are all about freedom. All about freedom and protection and wisdom from a good, good God. I, 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 put it, I think of it this way. You can kind of see the, the Ten Commandments, really. They're like the guardrails along the road that allows us the freedom to enjoy the ride that God has put us on, the joy, the ride that God has allowed us to be on in this life. I remember when we were driving up, we scattered my dad's ashes at the top of Pikes Peak, over 14,000 feet, okay? I was told we were going to go maybe halfway. But then we went all the way. The lead car just kept on going. I remember if you've never been to mountains like that, pretty soon you get to these switchbacks that they're like, there's the road and there's the cliff. And so you're, you're just like kind of going, there, there was not, fr- I, I didn't feel free to enjoy <laughs> the ride because there was no guardrails. I mean, you could just go right over. So does that make sense? So the, if there would have been guardrails, heavy duty guardrails, because I kept on thinking to myself, how many people have rolled their cars off this cliff? Really? People all texting or just talking, hey, you know, but isn't it, can you see the picture of how guardrails, if there was guardrails on there, I wouldn't even think about falling. I wouldn't worry about falling. I wouldn't worry about what's over there. I I wasn't worried about what might happen if. You see what I'm saying? That's what the the Ten Commandments are supposed to be. They're supposed to free us up so I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry about all the things that might happen or all the things on the other side. I can live free in Him. 
I like what the psalmist said about God's law. He looks at what he says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law. I would, I would have delighted in some guardrails. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his, on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. Because of, not because, oh, hey, man, let me live my life how I want. No, I got some laws. I got some rules. I got some guidelines for you that are going to help you. And the psalmist says, I love that. That is wonderful. Thank you so much for that. You see, the psalmist understood that God gave his law for our good, not to limit our enjoyment of life. He did it to keep us from the suffering and the pain and the heartache that comes when we choose to sin. The heartache that I would have had if one of the cars following me would have gone over the edge. That's what it keeps from happening. And we need to see the Ten Commandments like that. Look what the psalmist said again. I wanted to eliminate stuff because I just wanted to shorten things, but I had, the psalmist says it so well. Look again what he says in Psalm 19. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Do you get the idea that the psalmist kind of liked God's law? Do you get the idea that he understood what God's guidelines and rules, if you want to say, even in here, are all about for his life? Not to stunt his fun, not to take away enjoyment of life, but to make him able to be a live life to the fullest. Okay? So, now that we understand the purpose and importance of the Ten Commandments, I just want to briefly look for the rest of our time, look briefly at the first commandment, okay? We're going to take one at a time here. So, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 says this. This is what God says. You shall have no other gods before me. We've all heard that many times. What does that mean? Well, listen to what Martin Luther had to say about this. The great church reformer, Martin Luther said, this commandment is the very first, highest, and best from which all others proceed. That's how important this first commandment is. Number seven on your notes are the reason this first commandment is foundational for all the rest is that when we are completely enamored with the one true God, all aspects of our lives are affected. All aspects of our lives are leaving every other object we worship or trust in exposed as false and unable to save. You see how that makes sense? If we're just so enamored with God, so enamored with the way that he wants us to live, everything else that we tend to just want to go towards for security and all that just fades away. It's like the story 
I mean, most of us know the story of the rich young ruler who asked Jesus what he needed to do to receive eternal life. Remember that? He came to Jesus, what do I need? What do I need to receive eternal life? And Jesus tells him, well, keep the commandments. Once again, here's the importance of the commandments. He says, keep the commandments, to which the young man, what did he say? I've kept them my whole life. I've kept the commandments my whole entire life. So what must I do? See, this guy senses there's more. There's more to the kingdom of heaven than merely just keeping these commandments. So he's feeling that. So he's asking, what do I do? I've been spotless up until now. What should I do? Well, Jesus goes on to tell him, if you, you, if you want to fully understand what it means to be part of the kingdom heaven, you must far exceed this standard of a spiritual exercise of merely keeping the commandments. You, gotta, you have to far exceed that. And when he tells him that he must be willing to give up the very thing that he worshiped and he trusted the most. Remember that? He says, this is something that's got you enslaved, my friend. You have to give it up. It was his love and his trust in his wealth to provide what he needed for security, significance, and purpose. So Jesus went right to the heart of the matter, right to the heart of the commandments. So he tells this guy to sell everything. (laughs) Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. Remember what, his, what, remember what the response was of this rich young ruler? It says that he went away sad because he, because he had great possessions, or he went away sad because he had great wealth. The truth is, this guy hadn't kept all the commandments. He hadn't. Actually, this guy hadn't even got past the first one. He got stuck on the very first one. His wealth and his possessions were his God. And Jesus knew that. Number eight on your notes there, the reality is that there can only be one God on the throne of our life. God will not share the throne of our life. He will not share it. I like what Oswald Chambers says here. He says, If I enthrone other than God on my life, God retires and lets the other God do what it can. That's powerful. God's not going to fight. He's leaving it up to us, to who we're going to let be on the throne. And it's interesting, as I was thinking about this this week, it's interesting that so often what we end up worshiping or trusting in that's other than God is oftentimes the very things that God has given to us to enjoy. You ever seen that before? Yeah, you take, you see, what happens if, if you take our deep need for security and significance and purpose, I know I'm the only one that has that need, but that deep need that we have for security and purpose and significance, and you mingle it with the pull and the, and the drag on us of our sin nature, we can easily end up making these very things that are good things, we can make them into idols that end up taking preeminence in our life. I think many times, oh, you see me sweating. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. It's my biggest fan. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. That's terrible. Um, it's, it's true. So often the very things that we're given and the gifts we're given and the talents we're giving, those things become idols to us. 
The very thing that God gave us to enjoy because of our pull of our sin nature. I think we see this all the time. We've heard these things all the time. I, I remember uh, when I went to Colorado the first time to be with my dad to help with hospice care, he, um, I was picked up by my brother-in-law who kind of mixes and mingles with some of the very wealthy folks. And so he took me to a guy's house who had a, his own, had a cigar lounge. And so he had built his own cigar lounge. And so here, going go to the cigar lounge, it's a really nice little cigar lounge, and there's these well, really wealthy guys. One guy was like, is like major wealthy, but they're all believers. They're all strong believers. Actually, it's an organization, they call themselves the Holy Smokes. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and there's like 3,000 of them on this that belong to it all over the world. So whenever this guy flies into towns, he finds out where the Holy Smokes meeting. So he gets together with the Holy Smokes, and they sit around, smoke cigars, and they talk about Jesus. So, so, but this one super wealthy guy was telling me, he's very transparent. Was, we were talking to each other, and he said, these last three couple years have been really rough for me, but good. He said, God has been humbling me. He said, I've got some major talents that the Lord has given me, and they became my idol. It, it, it was easy for, I mean, this guy can raise millions of dollars. He's super millionaire. It's super successful. But he realized that the pull and the tug of his sin nature easily pulled him into relying on those things for his significance. Those things to make him feel like, yeah, I matter. And God broke him. God absolutely broke him. And I'm at, what a great thing that he's willing to share that too. I mean, the things that, think about the things that we have oftentimes, our fi the, the wealth that we have, our possessions, even significant relationships or talents or abilities, and the powerful reality that our God always, our God always influences our priorities. Our God, our God, whatever we make God is always going to influence our priorities, always going to influence what we value, always going to uh, have an influence on our morality. It's always going to have an influence on our choices, and really, ultimately, it's going to have an influence on our eternity. That's what our God does, the thing that we put our trust in the most. Number nine, God doesn't want to be at the top of our priority list. Because this really, he doesn't want that because this implies that he can be moved around. <laughs> you know, I can, well, he's at the top today. He, can move he doesn't want to be at the top. He wants to be at the very center of our lives. Don't put me at the top of your list. Don't say God. I've done this before. God, family, da, da, da. no. Don't put me up there. I encompass everything. I want to be at the absolute center of who you are, to have nothing to compare or to rival me for preeminence in our lives. It's almost like, it's like here's an example. Say like if I came home one day and told my wife there, I said, honey, I love you, I love you, I, but you know, I found this other gal, uh, and she's wonderful, she's great, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm going to share her with you, with, you know, you need to share her with me a little bit. I'm going to be with her. Some, some nights I'll be away and I'll be with her, but I still love you. You are special. You are wonderful. You're top priority. You're way up at the top priority on the list for me. And yeah, you guys will get along great. Don't worry about it. You'll get along great. I won't. Don't worry about it. <laughs> How is my wife supposed to respond to that? <laughs> wow. 
she's not going to, of course my wife's like, okay, yeah, we'll share that priority. We'll share. I'm going to share that priority with you. Of course not. It's me or her, right? And that's the way God sees this thing. And the, but that's exactly what we do when we bring other priorities into our life, other gods into our life. And we say, okay, God, no big deal. Just, just share. You can share. It's not that big a deal. You'll get along great. It'll be, it'll be fine. My need for other people, my need for affection, my need for money, my need for security, my need for everything to work out, my need for my job. Every... He says, no, you cannot share me. I will just back off and let you do your thing because I'm not going to force on you. So how do we know if we are obeying or disobeying this first commandment or not? How do we know? How do we know if we are, truly have no other gods before the God of the universe? Try asking yourself this question, and I kind of had to put it in three parts. Try asking yourself this revealing question, and I'll put it up there. Oh, they'll put it up there. Who or what do I ultimately trust in to meet my need for security, significance, and purpose? Who or what do I ultimately trust in to meet my need for security, significance, and purpose? And I know a lot of Christians will say, oh, it's God. It's totally God. Let's take a look at how we spend our time how we spend our money, how we use other, all the other resources around us that will help measure that. How do, we, how do we deal with our finances? Is it my financial resources, my talents? Could it be your talent and your ability? Could it be I've been a Christian for 40 years? I've been a Christian for so long. So often we can make our faith, our faith our God in a negative sense. I've been a Christian for a long time. I got this thing. I'm, I'm leaning on years and years and years of successful or learning a lot about living a life with God. And the whole time, we're just not even getting it. We're not seeing where we're missing it. We're relying on old grace. We're relying on old truth that got us through at a certain time, but God has something brand new for us now. He wants us to grow up. Someone was sharing with me. I don't know about a guys by the men's Bible study. Someone shared something about someone said they had been, instead of them, they realized that instead of them being a Christian for 20 years, they had been a one-year-old Christian 20 times. This is what God had showed them because they, weren't, they were letting other things on the throne of their life so much that sure, they knew God, they knew about God, they knew about grace and salvation, but they sure were little babies when it came to living a godly life. Put this question another way. Who or what can I not live without? Who or what can I not live without? Or put it even Another way, who or what do I run to in times of need? These questions will really help you know whether am I obeying that commandment to let no other gods before the God of the universe because those things will fail. <laughs> those will fail. They're false guardrails. They're paper guardrails. You think they'll help you, but they won't. 
that freedom to do what I want. Hey, I just want to have sex with whoever and whenever or outside of marriage before I get married. Like lying and stealing, that's all okay. Um, God says, you know, I'm not going to force you to follow my rules, but I gave them for freedom so that you would be free to not be shackled to those things to give you worth and to give you significance. Because I want, I alone want to be that thing. I alone am perfect. Remember what he told them? I am in charge of everything. So don't you think I can care for you? Don't you think I can meet your needs? See, it's important that we each consider the possibility that some of our most precious possessions, our abilities, or even our relationships may be causing us to violate this very commandment and actually enslaving us, keep us from living free. And the last one on your notes there, because true freedom has everything to do with the object of our worship. Everything. Again, the Ten Commandments have been transformed by the coming of Jesus. So therefore, obeying this first commandment, you know what it means? Obeying the first commandment means giving Jesus the worship and place in our lives that he desires and that he deserves. Giving him the place of worship. May each of us learn more and more what it means to give him that place. I have a few questions I want to ask you guys. Jump you in the mix here. Let me ask a couple questions. Here's the first one. Why is it that as followers of Jesus who have been set free, we often don't live free? For those of you that are newer with us, we just take the last kind of 10 minutes to let everybody just participate, those who would like to. We learn from each other. I want to learn from you. Why is it? Why is it that as followers of Jesus who have been set free, we often don't live free? What do you think? Yeah. So totally. Yeah. Good one, Veronica. Yeah. We totally doubt. Even though we know, we still doubt. Yeah. Good one. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, totally. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Or very much so. Yeah, that's just, just the way I am, or I've just gotten in a rut, or yeah, for sure. Those are great. Anything else? Anything else you can think of? Why do we often not live free? Yeah, it's like doing the work. I, I learned that very much in my training to be a therapist. I learned that very much is it all came down to the willingness of the client to do the work. And usually the work was going to be hard. Yeah. Good. Uh, I saw a hand pop up. Yeah, Joe. Four times ago, fisherman. <laughs> Amen, a fisherman. Yeah. Amen. Good. All right. Second question. A little bit longer, a little long kind of question. Um, what are some practical examples of how a person can experience the lack of freedom 
by trusting in something or someone other than God to meet their needs for security, significance, and purpose. What are some practical examples you can think of? We've, we've talked about some of those, of how a person can experience a lack of freedom, though. How, what are some ways that we experience a lack of freedom when we trust, we put our trust in something other than God to meet our needs? Yeah. So true. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Paul. Yeah, totally. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Now I have to live up to this. I have to live up to that. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of times one of the big ones is we, we're afraid that um, we, we've seen when people put their trust in relationships. I've seen that all the time. And that relationship goes sideways. It's like the house of cards just absolutely crumbles. Absolutely crumbles. Yeah. Last one. What are some practical things a follower of Jesus can do to ensure Jesus is on the throne of their life and not a possession, ability, or relationship. Could have worded that better. What are, you should have edited my stuff. Okay. What are some practical things a follower of Jesus to, can do to ensure that he is on the throne of our life and not these possessions or abilities and relationships? What are some practical things we can do? Let's make this practical as we end. It's one thing to talk about it. How do we do that? For sure, Veronica. Yeah, exactly. Cannot overemphasize that, the importance of spending time with God on a regular basis. Oh, no, I know the guilt just hit, but we cannot, we cannot grow spiritually. We can't unless we're spending time in God's word and in prayer on a regular basis. Don't fool yourself. I've been around a long time. I know. I mean, tell yourself that. I've been around. I know a lot. That's a great one. Yeah. Not someone that just listens to you gripe and moan and tell you over and again how bad, how, you know, you can tell them how much you're blowing, but someone who's really going to, yeah, Mike, someone's going to actually keep you accountable, point you to Jesus, help you to, yeah, move towards the truth. So important. Yeah. What else? What's that? Yeah. That's a daily thing, isn't it? Yeah. Anything else? Any other? Yes, Robin. For me, I'm, I struggle with idolizing time, like trying to squeeze as much time yeah. as time, which if, if I'm in sin, like I'll stay up later and later and later to get stuff done. So for me, I need 
Yeah. Yeah. I love sleep. <laughs> I hear you. I think one that hits me is just is accepting God's grace, too, in the midst of all this. Living in his grace. Okay, I haven't been in the word like I should be. I'm not going to cheapen his grace by going, it's okay, but I'm, gonna let, I'm, not gonna feel, I'm not gonna live in guilt and shame. I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna allow the truth of who I am in Christ, that I am clothed, and this is where I think a lot of Christians, we forget this, that we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Think of how righteous Jesus is. We wear that righteousness because of what he did for us. That means the Father is thrilled with us. Absolutely thrilled with us. So that should motivate us to want to have be an accountable relationship, to, to be in the word, to seek the truth, to develop intimacy with the Lord. What an incredible commandment to start with, huh? Incredible commandment. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for how powerful it is, how convicting, but also how reassuring it is. I pray for all my friends here, myself, that, God, that we could truly let you be on the throne. We, can, we will be aware when the enemy is wooing us away with the things that we, other things that we want to rely on, things that I, gosh, I know that I just like, it's like a magnet I feel sometimes I'm pulled to. Thank you that you love us in the midst of all that. Help us to be a community of faith here that encourages one another, builds one another up, relies on one another, realizes how much we need, desperately need one another to be able to do this and to live the life you have for us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.